Welcome to Every Horror Movie on Netflix, the show where we watch, review, and discuss every horror movie on Netflix. I am Chris, and I am back again with Patrick. Hello. And Steven. Sup. And happy October. We are plunging right into the spookiest of months, and we have a discussion prepared for you of Veronica. We've prepared. We've prepared the discussion. I, I didn't recall like any kind of pre-recording meeting or anything like that. But I, I feel prepared enough. I spent an entire hour and forty-three minutes preparing for this, watching the movie. Yes. Yes. Wow, motherfucker! Sat through the credits. We're not. We're not entirely flying by the seat of our pants here on every horror movie on Netflix. So yeah, this week we're talking about Veronica, which is from what 2017? 2019? Mm-hmm. 2017. It's, it's pretty old, but I remember when it when it made a little splash. I think it's a is it an end film? It is end film. Yes. Yeah. But before we get into all that, we like to do a little catch up on what else we've been watching or consuming horror related, uh, or if any horrifying experiences have happened to us lately. So, uh, what you guys been up to? Yeah, so I, I have two things. Um, one of them at the recommendation of Elric Kane on the Colors of the Dark podcast, and also a couple of our fans on the Discord. I watched a little movie called Speak No Evil. It's a Shutter oh, yeah. original, and this is about a Danish family, uh, husband and wife, and a little girl. They're on vacation in Italy, and they meet a Dutch family who seems very eager to become friends. They have a little boy that's a little standoffish, doesn't really speak very much. The Dutch family seems very excited to become friends with the Danish family and to possibly meet up sometime in the future. Invite invite the, the Dutch family over for va- invite the Danish family, I'm sorry, over for vacation. Uh, and they do. Several months after the trip, they get a postcard inviting them out to a cottage and it seems like it's going to be a great time. Well, as soon as they arrive, things are just very off and it's kind of almost like a nightmare comedy of manners in which uh, the host family just is uh, doesn't seem to remember key details about the family they've invited to visit them. It makes a lot of very awkward, cringy faux pas. That's three quarters of your movie. Um, there's not really much horror going on. When it does escalate to horror, I will say it is very upsetting. It's a movie with an extremely bleak ending that I'm still questioning whether or not it was quite worth the ride. But I'm happy for having seen it because every once in a while, I like a movie that gives me an anxiety attack about something that is not related to anything in my life. It was a good distraction. That reminds me, uh, that sounds quite a bit like a movie I watched, um, I don't know, a year or two ago called Harry, He's Here to Help. French yes. movie or with a friend like Harry. Yes, I. it's very, very, very similar vibes. Not similar outcome or finale, but yeah, it's it's like 60 minutes of just like, oh my God, get me out of this room, get me out of this house. And uh, yeah. Um, the other thing is, I just finished reading Stephen King's Revival for the, just the Amon Discord book club. I know Patrick has finished it as well. By the time this episode comes out, we will have already had our discussion on the book club on the Discord. Um, so I was wondering, Patrick, I mean, maybe we can just for, you know, 30, 60 seconds, like, talk about broad strokes. What was your general impression of that one? It's funny because I would have 
I was going to bring it up in my horror catch-up if I went first. I, for some reason, had it in my head as Arrival. So I'm glad that you said this title first because I would have described it as Stephen King's Arrival for some reason. Mm, what were my impressions of it? It's not very, very horror. There are a couple of moments that were memorably awful. But yeah, it's kind of one of those just hangout books. And, it, and particularly, it feels very much... It feels very autobiographical. It feels like Stephen King talking about his own life. It reminded me very much of the last book we read, The Paul Bearers Club, which felt like Paul Tremblay talking about himself and his own life, kind of thinly veiled autobiography. I don't know. I don't know. What were your impressions, Stephen? Well, I understand. So something I learned once I started getting serious into reading again as an adult is that like never confuse the protagonist with the author. And I know with King, it is very difficult to do that, but I don't, I, there's a little bit of stuff in here where it does feel like King kind of riffing and talking about his opinions about things, especially when it comes to like music and stuff. But I don't think anything in this like remotely happened to him, at least from what we know about him. Um, like, I don't think any of these other, I don't think the protagonist or any of the other characters are really based on him, though. I think a lot of his worldview hangs in the protagonist and I kind of liked it. It's a long hang of a book. It's a, book where you know we've got characters traversing the country over and over again over the span of decades and it's not even a slow build to horror there isn't really much build up but when the horror does arrive at the end i found it to be suitably uh frightening and strange yeah i guess it doesn't feel autobiographical in the sense that like i think he actually had this sort of relationship with a, a character who kind of followed him from his childhood to adulthood at crucial moments but I, I think sort of the character's just sort of personality um, and the way he described various life events. Of course, he goes through an addiction phase. He talks about music a lot. And that just reminded me a lot of King himself. I don't know. Yeah, it is a, it is a hang. It is a, it is a hangout book. Like you're just hanging out with this guy for a long time. Would you give it a view it, a cue it, or a screw it? Mm, low cue, I think. I give it a high high cue. I think I wasn't like totally satisfied in the end, but it was a it's a sleepy read, and David Morse's uh, narration on the audiobook is makes it even sleepier. <laughs> but I enjoyed every second of it. I think like the writing is great. Yeah, there's some of the usual King hangups. I mean, he writes about women not so well sometimes. He's very interested <laughs> in the past twenty years in writing about men who have a love interest who's half their age. There's a lot of just unnecessary sexual overtones. There's a lot of weird <laughs> Even in sex like stuff. really harrowing moments, he's got to talk about his boner. Like, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and he's always gross when he's talking about sex. Pretty much always <laughs> gross when he's talking about sex, but never more so in any of his books that I've read, which to be fair is not a ton, less, fewer than 10 probably. Um, but never more gross in my experience than in this book. Yeah, there are some crucial moments where he's just flashing back to his literal teenage boner as a middle-aged man. Yeah, hey, oh boy, and, and and we will have said more in the, the Discord discussion on this, which is why if this sounds remotely interesting to you, you should definitely check out the next book that we'll be reading which is Dark Harvest by Norman Partridge. It's oh. a short one. I'm picking it, picking a short one for October because I want to read some other shit and watch some movies with you guys, hopefully, and be able to have the time for that. So look forward to reading along with, with me and maybe Patrick, possibly Chris, and having a discussion in the Discord lounge around Halloween. 
Patrick, what have you been up to? Anything horror-wise now that we're in the spooky season? Other than finishing off Arrival, Revival, whatever you want to call it, not a lot. Uh, revisited The Shining. That's the, that's the only real thing. Allison with a Y had never seen it, and I really wanted them to watch Dr. Sleep. <laughs> I mean, you know, The Shining, of course, a classic, but in my mind, it was a little bit like, okay, let's get through The Shining so we can watch Dr. Sleep, because Chris talking about it last episode really got me stoked to rewatch it. It's like when I show people Alien. <laughs> <laughs> Man. No, The Shining. <laughs> it took me a second. The Shining was a delight to rewatch. I hadn't seen it in several years and 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 it fucked with my head too. I think, you know, I I I, I got a little high while watching it and it was I I couldn't fall asleep for a while cuz I was just thinking about stuff from The Shining and it was rather disturbing to think about. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm remembering this cuz cuz you texted me. Patrick, oh, did I? Patrick, Patrick texted me and was like, uh, I, I just watched The Shining. He was like, I'm high. It's actually really get, really kind of freaking me out and unsettling me. I was like, you know, it's based on a true story, right? You know, it's all real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was good. That was good. I, it also made me want to rewatch Room 2. I always... Two, mix three, up the number 237 right yeah i want to rewatch that because that's a phenomenal film and i wanted to revisit some of the theories around it because obviously allison allison and i were kind of trying to break it down because naturally i think someone's first response to seeing the shining is what was that all about you know like why was he in the picture so you want to think about it a little bit and of course i ran through kind of the common interpretation around the indigenous burial ground um but i really want to revisit some of the wilder and farther out theories on it so looking forward to revisiting room 237 looking forward to revisiting dr sleep on this journey can i ask you have you read the shining because i think even more importantly that might be worth returning to more than room 237 because most of those theories are like almost like exploitatively bizarre and strange oh yeah which i mean is part of the fun but um, yeah, I have read The Shining. Oh, okay. It's been a long time, though. I don't remember much about it. That was part of when I was in kind of my like high, like Shining K hole that night. I was rereading like a synopsis of the book on Wikipedia, which struck me as I was surprised that it, at least on the surface, like the synopsis, not too different from the way things go in the movie. But I do remember the book having a very different tone. Christopher, what have you been watching or doing or reading or whatever the fuck? I've been watching quite a bit of stuff and I'm going to indulge myself and do shameless self-promotion of my Letterboxd, which I haven't talked about in a while, but uh, I log most of the stuff I watch just very, very laboriously so on (laughs) Letterboxd at Amon Chris, E-H-M-O-N Chris. So if you want full thoughts on things I'm watching, you can check that out. Uh, Recently, I watched The Empty Man. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, if you want to see it, too bad, because it was on HBO Max. Well, actually, not too bad, because I, I saw stuff on social media about how it was leaving HBO Max and how it didn't have a physical release and how it was going to end up being a lost film, so you better watch it today while you have the chance. And so I watched it, um, and now it's off of HBO Max, and it's not available to stream anywhere, but you can still get it on VOD and buy it off of... Uh, Apple and, and Amazon and things like that. So it's still out there if you want to spend a little money, but it's not streaming for free anywhere. But it's The Empty Man and this thing was a treat. I know Steven watched it like a year ago. Um, I guess I kind of am late to the party on this, but... Oh, well, like um, nobody saw it when it came out. I feel like I just kind of... 
the title threw me off. It wasn't well promoted, and I just kind of came to it by luck. Yeah, and, so and you really had the the perfect review uh, by text where you said that you were expecting it to be like the Bye Bye Man or one of those sorts yeah, of yeah. movies, um, and it is that for like twenty for like twenty minutes, and mm-hmm. it's every other type of movie you can think of for about 20 minutes. Um, yeah. It's, it's almost like an anthology. In a it, weird way. it is. It's like, that it goes, sounds fascinating. It goes down a lot of, uh, story holes that you would not expect it to go down, but they're all well done. And I, I really enjoyed the movie. Um, and it gets better. The more I think about it, even though it, didn't really succeed at what it was trying to do. I think it succeeded at something else that was just as good for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't even know. I don't even, I don't even know how to give you how to even set it up. Other than that, I won't even tell you what it's about. It's about, it's about a curse. Yeah. It's bigger than that. It, it, it I thought the whole movie was about to take place in 1995 Bhutan. Well, the, like the, the way this movie was sold to me, and I, I, yeah, I probably mentioned, I know I mentioned on the show like a year or so ago, is like, just watch the first 20 minutes, and that's like an amazing, horrifying, Lovecraftian short film in, of, in and of itself. And if you feel like watching the whole two hours and 20 minutes or whatever, fine. There's lots of fun stuff to be had, but like, that first 20 minutes is like a, a masterclass in Lovecraftian horror. Like, I could see showing that to a classroom and just discussing that independent of everything else in it. Yeah. Yeah, really interesting because I yeah I, I expected that prologue to last like five minutes and then it lasted like twenty minutes. <laughs> and I was like, does this whole movie take place here? No, it takes place right. in modern day. It takes place in uh damn I don't even know where it takes place. It takes place in you know the the like North Carolina or Georgia or something. But um yeah no interesting. That's the Empty Man. So rent it on Apple and follow me on Letterbox. Damn it. <laughs> But now we're going to talk about what we're here to talk about, which is Veronica. And I'm going to put the accent on the O, because there's the accent on the O, and that's the way the characters pronounce the character's name in this film. This is a Spanish movie directed by the guy who directed the first Wreck, which I have yeah. not seen. Oh. Have oh, either of you, you seen the original Wreck? Yeah. No, I've heard it's great. It's pretty damn good. I mean, I liked Rec 4, so I have to imagine I like Rec 1. <laughs> it's very different from Rec 4. <laughs> I, wish I, had, I wish I had done the five seconds of research it would have taken to find that out before you told me just now. Yeah. But you, should have you, done, you should have done an hour and 43 minutes and five seconds of preparation for this. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Paco Plaza uh, is his name. And this is a movie that's also set. Uh, it's a period piece. It's set in, in more ways than one. Yeah, I wasn't going to go there, but... <laughs> <laughs> but uh it, it takes place in 1991 in spain and follows a teenage girl named veronica who is uh sort of taking care increasingly taking care of her three younger siblings uh in the absence of her mother who's always working late at a restaurant slash bar um and well, actually, funny because it's it's like the she calls it a bar. It's very much like the bar in the from bar. the bar. I thought that too. <laughs> Where it's like more of like a diner coffee shop, but it's a very bar. well lit. And, yeah, yeah. Um. Anyway, so she's increasingly taking care of her siblings, which is a major uh, plot point in this movie. Uh, but she and her friends at school at the uh, Catholic school that they go to, uh 
have a seance during a total solar eclipse. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, of the heart. Which I thought they were doing that intentionally, but I think it's a coincidence. Like they were just, that was the time they could get away while everyone else was going to look at the eclipse. I don't know. Oh, I don't um, think so. Cause they talk about how there's, I forget who talks about how during the eclipse, like the dark can take control over the light or something. So I think they intentionally do it because they think it's going to, uh, increase the chances of them contacting the various people they're trying to contact. Yeah. So they are trying to contact the dead. Uh, in particular, they're trying to contact Veronica's father, uh, mm-hmm. who is dead. And it, it does, it's not a very successful ritual. And then dark forces start to uh, haunt Veronica and uh, her family. And it's spooky indeed. Um, and the, um, oh, what I thought was I was gonna say, the movie opens in media res, which we always love. <laughs> and <laughs> like, here's what you need to know. And I think this is how the movie was marketed, especially in Spain. This is quote unquote based on a true story. It's based on yeah. a teenage girl who. I guess did a seance and started suffering uh, physical maladies, seizures, and the like. And ultimately, seeing things up, she was seeing things, yeah, hallucinations and such. And and she ultimately ended up dying. This real life teenager. And so this movie is very upfront about being like based on this story, which is also notable because I guess the Spanish police actually wrote in their official report that they had witnessed paranormal activity while investigating this right. death. Right. Um, which is supposedly like the only time in police history that that's ever happened or something, according to like the end titles on this movie. And I guess this is spoiler room material supposedly, but I mean, the thing about all that is at the end of the movie, it gives you all this information about kind of the real life background to this case, including what appear to be crime scene photos from the site of the real life woman's death. Um, but also includes all this background about how the detective said there was no conceivable explanation for what had happened and basically says, yep, it was supernatural. And I was like, that was chilling to me. And I guess not to tip my hand too much, but this movie was a little, uh, I was kind of lukewarm on most of it. And I was like, you should have told me this up front. I mean, so they explain that it's uh, based on true events, but I wish they had told me up front that the detective was like, yeah, fuck, this was this was some real shit. Because that was actually chilling to me at the end of the movie. It just came way too late. I wish they had prefaced it with that. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I, if, if they'd shown like crime scene photos and stuff beforehand, it might have been more interesting. But instead, what they do is they show you... Uh, a dramatization and you hear a uh, 911 call or whatever the 911 equivalent in Spain is. Uh, uh, nueve. Nueve uno uno, Chris. <laughs> wow, guys. Oh, uh, that was cringe. But, um, and it's, 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 you know, 911 calls are always scary, right? So I'm like, okay, I'm uncomfortable. You got someone crying for their life right now. And the police go and respond. And we see like the detective go in and he turns the corner and he's like, Dios mio. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> he's like, holy shit. <laughs> and then it cuts. And it's like, wouldn't you like to know what happened four days earlier? Three days. Nope. Earlier? I've never cut. seen a movie open this way, guys. I've never seen it. It does I've a kind of like, oh, you wonder how we got here. 
It doesn't, it, it doesn't cut though. It does a pretty sick transition shot, which is very clever because I think, I mean, there are, there are effects involved, but not a lot because you've got this weird visual of Veronica, like on her back with her mouth stretched unnaturally wide open, which is an effect. But then like she kind of relaxes, the camera moves with her, her mouth like <laughs> returns to normal, pleasant expression. She stands up and like walks and it's this very, it was a cool transition and there's a lot yeah. of uh, nice little um, visual, I guess, flourishes to this movie in general that I appreciated. And that was one of them. It was a, it was a nice way to kind of change the, the setting in an, in an unusual, oddly jarring, but oddly smooth at the same time way. But it sets you up basically to wonder like what the hell was going on in this house? What happened to the people there? What happened to the children? What What's going on? And, and it shows you that, you know, glimpse, but it doesn't really tell you like what they saw or whatever. It's and it kind of like wants you to be wondering the whole time. And mm-hmm. then we go back to, we, we go back to Verona, Veronica. We see her do the whole seance and everything. And then we just kind of kill time for an hour and 40 minutes until we get yeah, back to Yeah, it's just weird moment. shit. Just weird uh, shit happening for a while. I, I didn't feel that way. I mean, I can see, I understand why you felt that way. I thought this had a good, I thought this was well-directed, well-edited, had a good sense of momentum to it, but like pretty low stakes, admittedly. I, I wouldn't say it was killing time, but I do understand someone feeling that way. I I agree with Chris on that actually. I mean, it it did feel like it was just kind of all right. Weird shit has to happen for her. much like Uma. It kind of felt to me like a movie that like was kind of felt obligated to be spooky and didn't really know how. Um, it was kind of there was a lot of the like every day to day life and day to day drama in Veronica's life, but it wasn't really developed. And I, I got kind of frustrated because I got to a certain point in this movie and I was like, I don't really know what I'm supposed to care about right now. Like we got the stuff that goes bump in the night and we know that's going to escalate to this like showdown with the police at the end. But in the meantime, like there's all these plot threads about her parents and her friends and her, uh, the reproductive system and like <laughs> the kids. And it's like, all this stuff is interesting, but the movie doesn't seem to care about it half as much as I might. So it's like, things are just kind of brought up and disposed of. And really, I thought it was just spinning its wheels and it was dreadfully boring. It didn't give me anything to, to connect the, the spooky scenes together. I, I largely agree with that, except I disagree with what you said about it not knowing how to do spooky scenes. I think there are some very effective and very memorable spooky scenes in this. And that was some of what I enjoyed most about it. But it did, to me, feel like it was spinning its wheels a lot of the time, kind of getting from spooky little set piece to spooky little set piece. And yeah, I don't know. I wasn't terribly invested in the family drama, the friend drama. Um, the, The lead actress is fine but i never really connected with veronica it's a it's not a bad performance it's just a little felt a little empty to me and i never quite connected to her as a character um i was fascinated by and i don't want to necessarily celebrate this performance but i was fascinated by the little kid antonito who's antonito! basically like Dude, early earlier i guess late spirit of jay award nominee for me he's in the Base- 
basically like Spain's answer to the little kid from Jerry Maguire. He's got like the <laughs> giant glasses that surely have like magnifying like lenses in them to make his eyes look unnaturally large. And they're, his eyes are always slightly crossed. He is adorable. I noticed that uh, in, on the Wikipedia page, the director described him as... yes. A Marlon Brando in a young Marlon Brando in glasses or something like that. Yeah, that's almost exactly it. And I'm like, I don't know what that's about, but I loved Antonito. Like, he was the soul of this movie for me. I'm like, you got a girl, teenage girl, who's stuck at home, having to take care of her siblings. You know, dad's dead, mom's working in the bar all the time. And she's not a terrible, it's not like she's a drunk or anything, which I kind of expected in a movie like this for that to maybe come to the fore. But no, she's just not around. So, Poor yeah, she's Veron- just depressed Veronica and overworked. Just, yeah, Veronica's stuck, like, taking care of these adorable children. And I really kind of felt for that. I felt like this was really, especially with, like, the early 90s vibe that I think this movie captures really well. I felt this feeling of, like, um, just is- the isolation of this, like, young woman who, you know, ha- has not even menstruated yet when we meet her having to like be a mother essentially to, to her own siblings who are much younger than her. And I thought that that there was something just kind of sad and also kind of uh, disquieting about that, you know, that there's no adult around to verify what's happening. When mom comes home, the, the, the younger siblings are like, yeah, there was someone in our apartment and Veronica is like, well, no, because she doesn't know how to explain what actually happened. And, I found that stuff to be very compelling. Uh, but that's the that's the kind of thing that so much of the human drama is built around, and it just aggravates me in no end. And it aggravates me in every show and every movie where it's like you have drama that doesn't arise from the circumstances. It arises from a character just refusing to explain anything to another character. Like, yeah, everyone's fucking freaked out. The mom is like almost thinking Veronica's abusing the kids because they're like, I was being choked in my bed. Yeah. (laughs) And the mom's like, what's going on? Was there someone in the house? And Veronica's like, no, I guess I'm just an asshole. Good night. And of course it creates more drama, but it's just like with the friends. Like she has all these, this very strange relationship with her friends, which is almost interesting because she's got like a best friend who's like hanging out with a new girl and they're getting closer together and leaving Veronica out of things. But like when she needs their help to like do a seance, she at no time like tries to explain what's going on she just like crashes their house party and starts yeah. slapping people and so of course there's drama but it's just i'm always it's, it's 13 reasons why i was like this i'm like just sit down and explain something before you go around half cocked you know i i uh, okay so i i have two two thoughts on this one is like i understand your frustration normally the shit bothers the hell out of me and it did a little bit in this movie but on the other hand i feel like it did such a good job of putting us in the shoes of our teenage protagonist that like i understand that she doesn't really know what's going on and she doesn't have like the tools or the wherewithal to communicate all of the the suffering and the terror and the trauma that she's going through. So yeah, she's going to be a teenager and just show up at the house party and start screaming. Like it it made it it it, it made logical sense to me, but it wasn't necessarily satisfying as a viewing experience, I suppose. But I didn't feel like any of that was overplayed necessarily to the point that I got actively annoyed by it. Yeah, I I, I don't know if I have any thoughts on that, but I do have thoughts on uh 
speaking of like strange things that happen to the kids that become a point of tension between her and the mom, you know, it really upset me and hit me on at least as hard of a level as any of the big kind of like visually dramatic, um, you know, if somewhat effectsy scenes in this movie was when Antonieto gets burnt in the bathtub. Yeah. The the water in the bathtub mysteriously gets really hot. It's not a thing where you like see him in the bathtub and it's like steaming and he's like looking around. Like Veronica just leaves the room and comes back and he's like very upset, like basically crying and she pulls him out and like his little belly is all like pink from getting burnt in the bathtub. I don't know. There was just something to that that was like, oh, poor baby. You know, you I don't know. It was just really upsetting to me. Child abuse. <laughs> yeah. Imagine that. I that really freaked me out too because Antonito like doesn't blame her like he he understands that it's something else that he's oddly not all that frightened by but we see that with children in these sorts of movies that involve the paranormal sometimes um and I was feeling for Veronica and that like oh my god like she's li- she doesn't know what's up or what's down at this point did she turn the water up or not she's very freaked out and worried that she might have actually like almost like killed her little brother or, or like, you know, grievously injured him. And I, I was very moved by that too and thought it was uh, pretty creepy and it hit home with me. So I, I didn't necessarily read it as her not being sure if she had done it herself. I, she was at least worried that she was going to be blamed for it. I mean, of oh, course, but yeah. there was, yeah. Yeah. I mean, she was like, I, I, I just actually, I finished the movie today and I'm pretty sure that there is a moment where she's like, oh my God, like, did I, did I do this? Did I, did I fuck up? She apologizes and, and Antonita's like, oh, it's not your fault. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, at that point she's kind of taking responsibility for, for everything that's going wrong in that house, whether or not it's her or a ghost or a, a, a shadow person. Or a canker man. <laughs> <laughs> I, oh my god, I did think of the canker man. Chris, we're on the same page today. <laughs> anyway. We need to talk about Sister Death. Sister Death. Yes. Sister this Death. old blind nun who is the, you know, the purveyor of exposition she's the, the tony to the degree todd that of the yeah school. she's the tony todd to the degree <laughs> that you get it in this movie and i just i enjoyed the visual of sister death and also the performance there was something a little kooky about it a little you know she's walking around fucking blasting cigs chain smoking revealing like small the young bits of information to veronica yeah like the young <laughs> pope um i don't know i enjoyed that that was a that was a that was just a character that kind of gave this a little jolt to me in a way that I enjoyed when I wasn't connecting terribly well with a lot of the other characters. I agree. I also disagree a little bit, but um, I I didn't she didn't do a lot for me visually. Um, like I just I think it's kind of played out to be like, oh, it's a nun and her eyes are white and isn't that weird? Yeah. It's like you know I don't I don't know I know I'm getting to know a lot of nuns in real life <laughs> like they're all nice people. Just if you're a blind nun, you're just a blind nun. It doesn't have to be played for horror. Chris, that's such a funny statement to anybody who doesn't know the context. Like yeah. it, like Stephen and I understand why you said that, but it's such a funny <laughs> statement without the context. Yeah, yeah. you've um, been getting to know the nuns lately. Anyway. Um, but I thought that once she goes from just being like the spooky crone watching you from the from the tower, she was very interesting. And she's like the only character that Veronica has 
like heart to hearts with about the spooky evil. Um, and it only happens right. like twice. And then, so I was so frustrated when just when that nun is like really starting to reveal character and really starting to provide some clues as to what the hell's going on. The like school teacher is like, all right, let's get your ass to bed. You know, you shouldn't yeah. be down here. I was like, hold on. I was, I was, I was into that, but just another example of this, this movie kind of, drawing my interest and then then what it really wants me to do is count down how many days are left until the cop comes around the corner and says holy shit right and that wasn't really what i was interested in i understand what you're saying about the kind of played out trope of the you know scary nun with the white eyes but there was something about i think both the makeup on her and the way she was lit and the performance that seemed amusingly almost cartoonish to me it was as if you had almost directly adapted the uh like the old witch like the crone in snow white who like gives snow white the fucking apple or whatever it felt like that had just been like beautifully translated to screen it it just it just felt like it came out of like almost a separate movie in a very fun way like she showed up and i was like i wanted to fucking like just a fucking like metal guitar like shredding behind her or something it was like just big weird rock star energy to her when she showed up i enjoyed that i wanted the vampires theme song yes (laughs) (laughs) can we listen to that vampires theme again uh, it depends on who's editing this episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, you might be happy to know that they're making a prequel film called yes. Sister Death. So oh. We get to know all about her. Yeah, well, I you get to find to out about earlier. how oh. she got the name Sister Death. <laughs> I don't want that. By by she her her experiments with euthanasia at the convent. I don't want to watch that any more than I want to watch The Nun. You should watch The Nun. It has Actually, no, most... I do want to watch it slightly more than I want to watch The Nun. I take that back. Slightly the Nun more. is, you know what? The Nun had some stuff going for it. Really? It wasn't good, but I liked what they were trying to do. It has a cool aesthetic, and it has the most unchained, absurd, blasphemous endings I've ever seen in my life. Wow. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. I was offended as a Christian, and I'm not even Christian. <laughs> anyway. Huh. All right. I'll check that out. Yeah. Well, guys, should we review it and get into some spoilers? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's I think it's about that time. Uh, Steven, I'll, I'll, um, I don't know. I feel like you might be the wild card, so maybe I'll save you for last. Uh, what about, how about you, Patrick? Would you view it, cue it, or screw it? Veronica. Uh... Come back to me. I don't know. I don't (laughs) have a decision. I don't have a decision. (laughs) Okay. I'll go first then. I'm sorry. I got to give this a screw it. I I did not like this at all. It was one of the more boring films that I've watched, I think. I was flailing, trying to find something to connect to. Wait, wait, wait. One of the more boring films you've watched, like just period? Not for Amon. Oh, for Amon. Which okay. which means, yes, in, in the total experience <laughs> of my life, because the bulk of the boring films I've watched have been on this show. Um, and I, I just, I like, yeah, like Steven said, it's well-directed. There's some creative stuff going on. There's a few moments and a few ideas that I really liked that we can talk about in the spoiler room. But... On the whole, I was just trying so hard to find some the the scary scenes. I didn't think were that scary. The drama scenes weren't working for me, 
And I just, as the closer we got to this cop coming around the corner and saying, oh my God, the more I just kind of resented like being expected to care about that moment over everything else that's going on in that movie. And when the moment finally arrived, it was underwhelming as fuck. And the last five minutes of this movie that we'll talk about in the spoiler room are an abomination in my Whoa. view. Um, so I give it a screw it. Um, Did I, it I, upset I, you I as a Christian? I wasn't Christian when I watched this one, but I was Christian oh. when I watched The Nun because that was the universe of the film. Oh, okay. When I watched Incantation, I was Buddhist. Did the oh, okay? <laughs> Did the nun like break your Christianity? Did it turn you away from the faith? No. With its blasphemy. Listen, we'll talk about that later. All right, Patrick, okay. your turn. Ugh. Uh, I don't know. I'm just hesitating because I like don't want to give it a screw it because that seems mean. It does seem mean, and I I will say I hold I hold everyone harmless, and and the director, like I said, Rex probably great. I'll watch Sister Death. I thought there was a lot of craft going on here. God bless them all, but this really missed the mark for me. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I'll just go with the screw it. I uh, my man. <laughs> I, I there like you said there is decent craft on display there are some very cool spooky moments but yeah it didn't quite hang together for me i don't like the opening i don't i don't i just got lost and bogged down in the kind of middle proceedings getting from that opening back to the opening again i wish they had told me more about this being a true life uh or, or, or well they they tell you it's a true life thing but as i said before i wish they had told me more about those circumstances up front because i think it would have freaked me out more I don't know. Yeah, it just didn't. It wasn't. It just wasn't sticky for me. It just very little of it stuck to me, unfortunately. And I feel bad about that because it just it's not bad. I just can't really recommend anybody spend time on it, even like on a, on a cute kind of level. So, yeah, screw it, I guess. Steven. I can recommend that people spend time with it on a cute level and I will give it a cue it. I've seen this twice. I watched it initially. I think actually be- like uh, Speak No Evil, um, I heard about it on Colors of the Dark, or it used to be Shockwaves before a couple of the co-hosts got canceled. And I watched it back then and thought, you know, this is pretty middling, but I liked the vibe, I liked the direction, I liked the feeling of just, you know, spooky shit's happening at home with a teenager who's having to babysit her own siblings and who is, you know, pretty helpless, has a mom who's not around, a dad who's dead. I thought it, like, I don't know, there's something about that vibe I like. I like a good babysitter movie. And uh, I thought it was pretty spooky at times. I thought some of the the kind of dream scare sequences were actually pretty jarring, um, especially when the score changes to, like, 40s monster movie music during a couple <laughs> oh, of I did like the music. And that I'm was like, cool. whoa, I don't know how I'm supposed to feel, but this is pretty scary. Um yeah, overall, I, I I liked it, and you know, you guys know I don't like possession movies, but I feel like this this has like enough of a diversion from the usual possession movie tropes that I found it pretty engrossing. My biggest problem with it is probably the fact that it is, you know, based however loosely on quote unquote real life events. I feel like that's just a uh, a red herring that we that you know that it, it's a trope as old as horror movies probably and i find it kind of tiresome and unfortunately this entire movie is structured around that and the sort of quote-unquote reveal at the end of of the police report um but i think overall it's a little too long but i had a pretty good time with it even on a second rewatch 
I think, frankly, what I want is a documentary about this case. I wanted to know more about the case itself. That was almost the most, that was where they got me most, was fucking crime scene photos and whatever. But we'll talk more about that. Yeah, and like, you know, based on a true story, I love seeing that shit. I, I'm, I love it when the Conjuring 2 starts and it's like, this is actually a true story. <laughs> it's like, it's funny to me. It's like, like based on real yeah. terrible people. <laughs> That's all good. But then to like really commit to the bit and then like, you know, at the expense of the actual storytelling in the movie. And then, you know, then you could get into the ethical hole of like, you know, should you be adapting a real life tragedy in this sort of way? It's not like a real life event, like, Oh, this girl saw a ghost, but like someone died. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I love based on a true story, but I love when it's really not based on a true story and they're just like trying to sell you on it. Um, You know, I American hustle has a hilarious opening title along those lines. I forget what it is, but it's something like made, I, I, I'm not going to even try to remember it, but it's a twist on that. Or, yeah, like The Conjuring, where it's like, okay, Ed and Lorraine Warren were real, and we're going to tell you all about the time they saw the nun, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. This is a true story as told by Ed and Lorraine Warren. Absolute on their, bullshitters. On their <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, Steven, I know you don't like possession movies, but like I remember you explained once the reason you don't like possession movies is kind of the inherent misogyny in so many of them. So I, I think it's worth notice noting that maybe the reason this hits you different is because Veronica has a ton of agency and it yeah. doesn't end with like her getting slapped by a priest, you know? Mm-hmm. It ends with her like trying to do her own little ritual. Right. Um, yeah, that, that's that's a good point. It did hit me differently because of that. She takes control. She does her research. She tries to figure out how to undo the curse best she can. And we'll get into the rest in a few moments. We'll get into it. All right. American, American Hustle's opening title is Some of This Actually Happened. <laughs> yes, that's great. And that's my ideal take on like a quote unquote based on true events movie is where they're just kind of fucking with you a little bit. Yeah. All right, well, we're about to go down to the spoiler room and spoil everything about Veronica. But before we do that, let us remind you that if you can't wait for our next episode, you should reach out to us online and you follow us on social media. We are on Facebook. We are on Instagram. We are on Twitter at AmonCast, E-H-M-O-N cast. We have a website called EveryHorrorMovieOnNetflix.com. There you can see a little directory of some of the movies that we've watched. You can go to our little merchandise store and buy a shirt or a mouse pad or various other accessories with every horror movie on Netflix artwork on them. And of course you can join our discord server. Uh, There's a link to that in the show notes. We like, we have a little uh, great little community there that kind of talks about horror stuff all the time. And uh, we like to hear from you there. We like to hear from you by email and we always like to know what you thought of the movies that we talk about. Uh, so with that said, let's go on down to the spoiler room and spoil everything in just a minute. Welcome back. We are down here in the spoiler room, getting ready to spoil everything about Veronica. What happens? What does that cop finally see after four days when he turns the corner into that apartment? 
The same fucking thing we saw in the, the old same movie. fucking shit. It's <laughs> yeah. the same. You know, it's it's a small progression of shit. And I mean, the spooks. I would call them, for the most part, standard fare. You got your shadow people. You got your black arms coming out of the walls and the bed and shit. You got your you shadows know what, on though, the wall. I like the sh- I like the shadow people. There was some good shadow people stuff in this movie. And even though, yeah, shadow people is a cliche. You know what else is a cliche? Is fucking a spooky, not fucking a sh- spooky children's toy. No one has ever done that in a movie that I've seen. Had sex with a spooky children's toy. But I mean, a fucking spooky children's toy. And there's one in this that has like a wheel with like little wedges of color that Simon. Yeah, Simon what? says it's Simon. I never had one of those. Yeah, I was, Simon's I was a bubble toy. child. He was, was a bubble child, child but y- y- y'all know what we're talking about when we say Simon. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. Um, <laughs> but there's a scene where the shadow person is coming after, I forget, one of the kids or something. And the, the toy, the Simon, whatever, is going fucking nuts, you know, lighting up different colors. And I, and I like the way they played with that, showing the shadow going across the wall. Uh, affecting corporeal objects as it moves across the wall, different uh, lights lighting up on the toy and changing the the color and the position of the shadow. That was a cool shot. I liked that. I like that kind of shit because it gave me, I had this multiple times during the movie, poltergeist vibes. Mm. Especially since it's, you know, instead of early 90s, not in the 80s exactly, but it, it felt very much like when we're just left with the kids in poltergeist. Good creepy shit. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and again, competent stuff. I didn't think it was that scary or that novel, though. I mean, we've seen all this shit before. What was novel to me is when she has the dream where she wakes up and her siblings are eating her flesh. That That was was pretty fucking scary. That was wild. Love that. And I think that was one of the moments that had the, like, monster movie score behind it. Yeah. Which was great. I meant to say that before the break. I fully second that. I love the the use of music in this. It was you so jarring, and often. I'm like, I'm supposed to be scared, and this is a little campy, but it. I wound up circling back to, like, it made it scarier for me somehow. It was just so surreal and, like, almost Lynchian. Yeah. She sees uh, her the ghost of her dad, which is scary. That was one of the more effective moments. Oh, yeah, naked, her naked too. dad. Big buff yeah. naked dad. It follows she, vibes. It follows oh. vibes, but also, like, she tried to summon her dad, and just like in Ouija Origin of Evil, when they try to summon the dad and something else answers, uh, we know that something else has answered. So when we see the dad, it's very interesting, because we're like, is this the dad, or is this something wearing the dad's flesh? Mm-hmm. And that that is spooky to me. That was spooky. Um. I got to go pretty deep into the movie to find other things I liked. Is there anything before we get to the end that you guys thought was interesting or worth mentioning? Um, There's a thing I want to Well, bring. the period scene. Well, yeah, that's <laughs> yes. well, pretty well, well done. Let's stop there because, yeah, because they do establish it because we, we've made some references to it. They established early on uh, because, because Veronica, like, faints and is at the school nurse and the school nurse, you know, has to pry into all our business. And it's like, so uh, you get your period or what? And uh, <laughs> she's like, no. And they're like, all right. And um, then we eventually she, she wakes up in bed uh, after some spooky stuff. And it, it, it appears that she's gotten her period. Now, did she really? It's kind of hard to say because there's a lot of blood going around in this house by that point. But I think it's more likely than not that that's what, she, what happened and what we're supposed to take away from it. Well, it's hard to figure out what to take away from it, though, is like 
well is what to take away from it like why is that a plot point here like it seems like that should mean something more and i don't really think it does other than like periods are gross and she just had a period and there's blood on her bed Eh, I disagree. Now, but I, yeah. I, I is there the th- more significance to that? Here's the thing, and this is like just kind of my whole complaint with the movie, where it like kind of brings up some interesting threads, but then it doesn't really follow up on them, and you kind of got to do the work to make them make sense and make them work. Because um, I think they're doing something thematically. I think that it ties into the whole. Uh, matter of coming of age and this teen trying to take responsibility, you know, yeah. stepping into a maternal role, that sort of thing. Like, like I think we're supposed to get the sense that she's coming of age through the events of this movie. But other than the period scene, I don't really see that in the script. Hmm. There's also the thing that happens after she gets her period where, like, all of the mattresses start having, like, gross burns slash goopy... That was cool. I want to talk them. about that. Let's talk about that. What'd you think about that? I don't know anything about this case aside from what is presented in the movie. I want to read more about it. There probably is a documentary out there somewhere. It seems like it's mm. pretty famous. And the director has said, again, according to the same Wikipedia that Patrick read, but the director has said he wasn't so interested in presenting the truth of this scenario that it's all a vision. Right. But the but in those police photos, we see the beds turned up with what is clearly if you're not if you if you don't believe in the supernatural, it's mold. I think they had a serious mold problem in this apartment that led to some to something, some kind of like uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like neurological S- disorder. Steven, <laughs> Steven Scully over here. Yeah. Well, the neighbor, the, the neighbor from downstairs comes up and like amongst her complaints about what's happening in the apartment with all the hauntings, she says there's big black spots on my ceiling under your bed, like under where your beds are. Mm. Um, I don't know. I, I so it's all mold. It's all mold. That makes sense. Case closed. <laughs> they summon a they summon a mold demon. <laughs> uh, yeah, but thematically, I thought maybe it was trying to tie into the period thing. You know? Well, in the um, Antonito from the beginning of the movie is always promising that he's not going to pee the bed, right? Oh, and right. like, there's that, and then yeah, she's trying to wipe the cleaning. She's cleaning up his piss all the time. She eventually has to clean up her blood off the bed. Yeah. I, I, I don't feel like the filmmaker is trying to like make any sort of statement about this, but it is a little is a little weird because that is the most unsettling thing in those police photos is just like these Mm -hmm. shapes under the bed that are clearly spore born somehow. So those are real crime scene photos. I don't know. Cause yeah, that's kind of the consensus I've kind of landed on. But when I saw them, I did not think they were real because of how much they looked like the set of the movie. And it's like, was the set decoration in this movie so good that it looked like the crime scene photos or did they just fake crime scene photos i couldn't tell so i assumed they were real i did a quick check it was i did the most cursory google earlier today to determine try and determine if they were real or not did not come up with anything conclusive on that i still assume that they're real because i mean so if you do look at like those patterns on the mattresses they're very different from the ones that are in the rest of the movie oh so you know it's possible that maybe they made completely different mattresses for fake crime scene photos with a more realistic and believable pattern on the bottom of them. Hmm. Um, But I I think they're actual crime scene photos. I didn't inspect the photos much when they showed up at the end of the movie because I was kind of ready for it to be over. But I know that like when she's turning up the beds, they each have kind of a corporeal form to them. Yeah, they look like a body. 
Yeah. Probably. Yeah. yeah. They look like impressions that a monster has left as yeah. he was trying to spoon you. Big spoon, little <laughs> spoon. I'm not sure. <laughs> so, so basically, basically, um, our hero Veronica goes back and talks to Sister Death and gets the only useful piece of information in the movie, which is she. Sister Death basically says, "Well, haven't you seen uh, Ouija: Origin of Evil?" And <laughs> the, the, <laughs> Veronica says, "No." <laughs> And Sister Death says, well, if you had seen Ouija Origin of Evil, you would know to always say goodbye when you fuck with a Ouija board. And that's what you didn't do. And that's why this is all happening to you. So she says, you have to do another seance. You have to. You have to do right what you did wrong. Do right what you did wrong. You got to do it again and say goodbye to this thing so that it leaves you alone. So she's like, great. She goes to the store. She gets a brand new Ouija board because her last one broke during the cursed ritual. Uh, She tries to rally her friends. Her friends are too busy doing drugs and having sex. They say, get the fuck out of here. She, like, slaps some. My favorite character in the movie is, like, the bro who, like, steps in because she's talking to her friend, like, just basically just screaming her name at her at a party and wondering why she's not being taken seriously. And there's some, like, bro who, like, kind of walks up behind her and she's, like, elbowing the bro and, like, slapping the bro and he goes away. And then later, like, she gets escorted out of the party and the friend is, like, saying bye to her but and, like, the same bro is, like, over her shoulder or something. I don't know. I hyper-focused on the bro. I'm sorry. Well, when you're (laughs) you're not into everything else that's going on, I can see how that would happen. Yeah. Those are the details we pick up on. So then she's like, all right, fuck it. I'll do it all by myself, like Celine Dion. They go to the apartment. (laughs) Exactly like Celine Dion. (laughs) They go back to the apartment, and they have the kids, and and they're like, all right, kids, you know, our our bedtime story for tonight is going to be seance. And... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they attempt to do, but here's the thing: they like Home Alone. They're trying to like steal themselves, and little little Marlon Brando. I already forgot his name. <laughs> Antonito. 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 My favorite part of this movie. Brandito. Antonito. There's a there's a protection symbol. Yeah. Uh, kind of like Viking too, which is very odd yeah. that it's a Viking symbol, but. And they've used this protection symbol. Um, several times in the movie before. And she's like, here, Antonito, you need a job, take your crayon or whatever, and draw this on all the walls of the house. And he's like, oh, okay, this is a perfect job for me because he, he can't even read. Um, the, which uh, this is actually right. You entrust like the most important job, frankly, in this entire ritual to like the most lovable dipshit mop it. Well, he, he's, he can draw and he can copy an image and that's what he does. Uh, and it all goes well, but then you see he turns the page because why wouldn't he? He's a uh-huh. kid and there's another symbol and this one says the, the last one's the mark of protection. Now he's doing the mark of like incantation, incantation yeah. <laughs> and starts drawing that all oh, over the walls. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> Which I could draw that from memory because I, 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 I memorized it. But, um, oh shit! Could you actually? No. Oh, okay. I can. Pro- I don't it's, know. We it's, should, we it's should very complex. Our, we, should, we should try yeah, to is. do that sometime. Yeah. Draw, draw me a clock, Chris. No. <laughs> I I have anxiety, and I have been anxious numerous times this year. I don't think I've ever been as anxious this year as when I was trying to memorize that symbol as it actively faded away from my screen. <laughs> <laughs> um. But anyway, that was that was great. I mean, it was funny for one thing, and it was also upsetting because you know what's at stake and 
they set it up really well because they had already done their homework on showing us what that symbol was and that it was important. And then they also established that the kid can't read because, and I, I thought this scene was funny for another reason. Like, uh, she goes into his room and there's a book on the floor and she's like, why are you reading, looking at a book? You can't even read. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, that's not the best parenting practice. <laughs> but um, then he's like, oh, dad was reading me that book, which is kind of scary, kind of cool, kind of cool. So there's a lot of little. Oh, tiny- yeah. And he says, like, like, yeah, dad visited and, and he's going to take me to his home. That gave me. Yeah. Chills. Yeah. The little kid stuff in horror movies doesn't usually do it for me. But that was like, oh, my God, especially after reading Revival and the end of that, Patrick, I was like, mm. what does home look like? <laughs> that doesn't sound mm. good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A bunch of little, little spooky, effective moments that then paid off with this big thing where he draws the wrong symbol on the wall. And I thought that was really well done. My favorite part of this movie by far. Then they do the Well, yeah. And that leads to another kind of fun, like, shadow person moment. Because I liked when the shadow person was slowly reaching across the room and then it reaches the crayon, like, incantation that he's drawn and it lights on fire when the shadow person touches it. That was fun. It's, it's basic, I guess. It's simple, probably. We've probably seen it or something like it in other movies, but I enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. So then we have our, our big seance and it goes, you know, it's not nothing to write home about as far as a seance goes and it doesn't really work. And you have shadow people all over the house and then Veronica has to call 911. And so now things are starting to come full circle. Mm-hmm. And she's trying to get away with Antonieto. She's got him in her arms. The other kids have already gotten out. The kids have gotten out, and in a in a very convoluted way, she like turns and how do they how do they convey this twist? One of the worst twists of all time. In she my looks life. at her reflection in a I forget what, and sees that she's holding nothing in her arms. She thinks she has the kid. She doesn't. She doesn't. And then she's like, "Wait, if I don't have the kid." How much of my life until this point has been a mold hallucination? And, and like, we, and, and cue a sequence that would be best scored to the fucking Saw theme. Right, except none of the little, like, clues pay off. It's, it's all, yeah. like, it's all stuff like the thing we talked about with the bathtub. Like, you know, her saying, oh, I'm sorry, I turned on the heat. And the boy's like, oh, no, you didn't. And then turns out, yes, she did. Because apparently she has just been possessed, I guess, by the spirit and disassociated. And had a lot of the shit those spirits have done, she was actually doing this whole time. So I guess it's like thematically what she was forced to become her mother and also forced to become her father who's dead in the ghost. Is that what they're doing here? It's not. Uh, fr- frankly, I don't understand. It's not clean. I didn't understand it's not clean. It. At this point, we no. have to do the work to put it together. I will say that's why this is not a view it for me. Thematically, I feel like there's a lot of little pieces, a lot of threads, but I didn't feel like it really congealed into something tangible by the end. Mm-hmm. It was just a good old fashioned spook show. I love <laughs> a twist. I love a twist, but you got to do your homework. Yeah, the yeah that did not come together for me. It's just like, oh, twist time. Guess what? The girl is bad, actually. Well, yeah, and I guess, you know, this is where we come back to the true story thing is, 
you know, again, it's much easier to swallow. This is based on a true story when, for example, it's Ed and Lorraine Warren who are, you know, famous snake oil salesmen and 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 they're notable. They've had they've claimed to have a lot of exploits and you can just play with those characters that are kind of in the public domain to some degree. But this is a real girl who died. There's a real like kind of weird story about it where at least some policemen <laughs> thought there were truly unexplainable uh, consequences or per- perhaps supernatural consequences behind all this. And it's a real leap for the movie to go, yeah, she, uh, you know, made all this bad shit happen to her family. She did it. It was her. It's, I don't know. It's just a leap to, to make that accusation, I guess. It's a mess and it was it was disappointing and frustrating and probably would have been more disappointing and frustrating if I had actually really cared about this character's predicament uh through the rest of the movie. Because, you know, like like we talked about, the a lot of the family stuff is pretty compelling. You know, the the relationship is cute, let's say that. Sure. Um, yeah. I, I was very and, happy that the kids were okay in the end. Um, right, me too. And then a sort of a betrayal of the whole relationship that this Veronica has had with her siblings the whole movie, which is kind of the only sacred thing in the movie. I don't know. Then we have just an abomination. A fucking about because we see the whole prologue again. The cops respond, they go into the house, the detective turns the corner, he's like, Holy shit, and we're like, Oh god, what's it gonna be? What happened? It's the same shit. It's like it's the same shit we saw at the beginning. It's the same shit we see in every horror movie. She's doing the the uh, the exorcism of Emily Rose thing, where she's going like her back's bent, and she's like, Aah! like hovering. And then they take her out on a stretcher, and they have like an oxygen mask on her. She gets loaded into an ambulance. She's like unresponsive. That's the last we see of Veronica. Cardinal sin number one: the sin that is just. I can't fucking believe this happens in the movie. We we linger with the detective. Next five to ten minutes of this movie follow for five minutes probably follow the detective and he's in the house and he's looking around. He gets a walkie talkie call that says, "By the way, Veronica just died." Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're fucking up in a movie like this when you kill your lead character off screen off screen mm-hmm. and we find out about it as a third party to a conversation between mm. an EMT on a radio and a detective who's been in this movie for 20 seconds it feels mm. like it's setting up a sequel about the detective and we know we're not gonna well I shouldn't say we know we're not gonna <laughs> get that now that we have a prequel on the way but that felt very weird to me too like the, they just didn't know how to end this thing it was odd how little that detective had to do with anything in the end, because there's a title at the beginning that refers to the detective and he, you know, figures heavily into that little prologue. And then he has maybe even less time when he shows back uh, screen time, when he shows back up again at the end of the movie, like he's, he's very incidental mm-hmm. to all this. I just, it boggles my mind. Cause the movie, like we said, the craft of this movie is good. I don't know how you can fuck up that badly to just mishandle what, you know, could have been. You have to fuck up to have that not be an emotional moment if you see it. Well, let me Chris, let me put a finer Chris, point I thought on. you wanted characters to explain things to each other. Not like this. I know. I'm kidding. So we've talked before, I'm sure on the cast, but at least as as friends in real life, about movies that are named after 
a character, a name that you are yeah. not familiar with. Your movie is called Veronica, and you're just going to kill her off screen at the end? Really? Well, and interesting, too, because that was not the person's name in real life. Oh, and, I wondered and, about and that. I, I believe it was Estefania was her name in real life. And I was thinking, okay, so even if you're marketing this to Spanish audience and you're marketing it on the basis of a somewhat, at least somewhat well-known uh, death uh, or police case, whatever investigation. I was just surprised that you wouldn't, I mean, I'm sure there's all kinds of legal stuff you get into with mm-hmm. that, but name it something else other than just a person's fucking name, you know? I don't know. That that bothers me with movies in general when it's just like a generic fucking name. We had this conversation Michael recently, Clayton. Chris. Great movie. Michael Terrible Clayton. title. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, like, I mean, give me Ace Ventura Pet Detective. Like, that's a weird name. It tells me something like, you're you're like, what? Pet Detective? Austin Powers, International Man of See, the 90s knew yeah. how to do weird fucking names as movie titles. And since then, people have decided they can just coast on being like, you know, John Smith. It's like, why the fuck do I care about John Smith? Mm-hmm. Well, apparently you're not supposed to care about Veronica because they kill her off screen. I guess, I yeah. tell you about it on a walkie-talkie call, and they expect you to care. They expect you to be okay with it, I should say. I'm not okay with it. As little as I cared about Veronica, I was still... I cackled. I howled. I could not believe what I was seeing. It's the mo- one of the most absurd choices I've ever seen in a movie. Hmm. It's like it's like the joke about like oh ET crashed and died on the way to his home planet or whatever. <laughs> 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 like, just just I I don't understand it. There mu- there must be some like like esoteric there must be some arcane Spanish libel law <laughs> in effect why they can't show her die in the movie. I don't Chris, I, I feel like the word malpractice is just on the tip of your tongue right yes, now. And I just want to hear you. I want to hear you say it. It's cinematic and emotional malpractice. Oh, and there we go. Be getting a demand letter from my attorney very soon. <laughs> well, I'm on record giving this movie a cue it, and yet I just cannot square the fact that it is <sighs> the fact that it was based on quote unquote real life events and a real police case, whatever. I didn't need any of that. Like, I think like most of this stood on its own well enough that that just muddies the waters and makes you question some of these decisions that you, well, that's one that we would question automatically. Um, But there are, there are, there are other sort of narrative choices in this that just don't really make sense that seem to hold into the fact that they're using a real case. They're imposing limitations upon themselves when, when in reality it's all, it's all conjecture and a right. lot of it's kind of made up wholesale. So why not just yeah. present this as a complete fiction? They make so many compromises to be based on this real case, but then they are completely unfaithful to the facts of the real case. Yeah. Make it make sense. <laughs> it's ridiculous, but we're not done. We're not done because oh. it's not like, Oh, Veronica died. And then it fades to black end of movie. No. Now we got to stay with this detective who all of a sudden is important for like now two we, minutes. I mean, now we not- watch him. He's like, ba- he's at back at the police station. He's at a fucking typewriter. He's very, the slowest I've ever seen a man draw a cigarette in my life. The slowest I've ever seen a man light a cigarette in my life. 
He studies, he stares at the empty Okay, page. you've watched a lot of X-Files myth arc episodes, so I don't fucking believe it. <laughs> Cigarette-smoking man pulls that shit out quick. He's got places to be. People kill. Um, he, he stares at the empty page. We, like, zoom in onto the empty page as he stares at it like it's fucking James Caan in misery. And then it cuts to, like... We see him through. It was like Kolchak the Night Stalker, where at the end of the thing, he goes to those little office with three, and you see him through the blinds, right in his little thing about like, and then she died. I heard about <laughs> on the walkie talkie, and I just had to say, I wonder who would be finishing her test at school. Um, it was that kind of thing. But it's, he's typing, and we see the title cards that are like his his report, the report, the the supposed facts of the case. It's it's like. Yeah. On on June fifteenth, nineteen ninety one. This movie's so obsessed with dates. It's like it the is. fucking. It's like the count on Sesame Street likes dates instead of numbers, and he he produced this movie. <laughs> it's like it, you playing box office game. It's like me playing box office game. It's it's like nineteen ninety one. Listeners, listeners, go play box office game at boxofficega.me. It's a fun game where you guess the. Uh, top five movies at the box office on a given week and Chris and I play it every fucking day you can post your results on the discord if you want and see how you do oh, Chris great. please continue your tirade we'll a different channel for that yeah anyway <laughs> it's like it says his name it's like 1991 detective so and so so and so filed like he's the hero of the story now because he filed a police report where he said yeah I don't know what happened and their shit was fucked up it was kind of spooky mm-hmm. and then that's the end of the movie Executive producer Chris Carter. Yeah, uh, I mean, well, that's your movie. It, it, it was just a laughable epilogue to me. It just—it was pretty ridiculous. I'm not gonna—I'm not gonna argue with you there. I mean, I said this at the start. I wanted that shit at the beginning. It would have made sure. It would have made the rest of the movie scarier, or at the very least, it would have made me more upset about how it was or wasn't handling the facts of the real life case. Sure. I'll go a step further. I don't want it at all in this movie. I think it could have, I think the story and the characters and the relationships and the spooks and the terror could have thrived on their own without being pinned to this, you know, this supposed real life event. And I think that just it muddies the waters and allows the filmmakers to take uh, to to make some kind of spurious choices in the end, and I don't need any of that. Just cut that shit out. Give me give me like what actually happened to this fictional character Veronica, and we're good. Yeah, fuck it, screw it, damn it. All right, would you like to know what we're watching in two weeks? What are we? Oh yeah, you're picking. What are it's we watching? It's my turn to pick. It's your turn to pick. And you know, it's it's always a lot of pressure when you're when you're close to Halloween because you yeah. gotta pick something that you at least hope has some Halloween energy behind it. And I don't know if this one does, but I've been curious about this for a while. We are gonna watch one of the highest. Gr- speaking of box office game, we're gonna be watching one of the highest grossing movies of 2020. Oh. The oh, oh ma- I know what it is. The low budget made in Michigan chiller, The Wretched. Oh I my watched, god, yes. I'm so curious. I watched like this. 90% of this with 
Allison with a Y a couple weeks ago, and we shut it off before the end. So I'm really curious to see what happens. Uh, it's, it's just like just because like, I don't know uh, if I would revisit it. it otherwise, feels like necessary homework at the very just least. like Veronica. You're gonna watch the whole thing, wondering what happens in the last five minutes. Yeah, exactly. Um, when the box yeah. office landscape is as barren as the planet Arrakis, a movie like this can become number one. In a weekend. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, kind of an interesting story. I remember hearing about it on the radio when it happened because it was, you know, a low budget independent movie that they shot in our home state of Michigan. Mm-hmm. And it like had a limited engagement on some drive-in screens. And just by coincidence, they closed all the theaters except for the drive-ins yeah. like across the country. <laughs> and so this became like the number one movie on a technicality. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. Well, well, yeah, and also just on the basis that, like, no studio wanted to release a movie at that time. And so somebody was like, you yeah, let's drop this. And people were in a state where they wanted to go see movies, but yeah. nothing big budget would take a risk. So, yeah, yeah, such a weird coincidence that led to that. All right, so that'll be in two weeks. We'll be watching The Wretched. Hopefully, it'll provide a little bit of Halloween chills and spills and until then like we said find us online and social media at amoncast join our discord in the show notes we love hearing from you we will see you in two weeks uh for every horror movie on netflix i'm chris i'm patrick i'm steven see you next time <laughs>